0: This episode is brought to you in part by the Second Mission Foundation. Second Mission Foundation is a nonprofit organization that exists to educate, elevate, and advocate for members of America's service community in order to help them find their second mission after government service. Second Mission Foundation was started by and for the members of America's service community. That means members of the armed forces, first responders, security contractors, etc. Second Mission Foundation provides these veterans the opportunity for them to tell their stories, reach their goals, and make their voices heard through educational outreach, entrepreneurship support, and community involvement. For everything you should know about Second Mission Foundation, go to secondmissionfoundation.org. That's Foundation, secondmissionfoundation, all one word, .org, secondmissionfoundation.org. Profiles in Havoc is a Havoc Journal podcast. The Havoc Journal seeks to serve as the voice of the veteran community through a focus on current affairs and articles of interest to the public in general and the veteran community in particular. Havoc Journal strives to offer timely, current, and informative content. When you go to Havoc Journal, you will read the most articulate, opinionated, thoughtful, and provocative veteran writers writing about the nation, the world, politics, national security, culture, fitness, movies, the list goes on and on and on. Havoc Journal is always expanding, always striving to improve the reader's experience. If you haven't been there yet, Check it out at HavocJournal.com. That's Havoc with a K, Journal.com, HavocJournal.com. So this was a really fun episode that I recorded with Gina Herrera. Uh, Gina, for those of you that don't know, is a mixed media artist, which could mean just about anything. Um, But she's specifically a sculptor. She does paint as well, um, but she's mostly a sculptor. Um, She does work with paper as well. Um, and that's all interesting and she's phenomenal and she uses all reclaimed materials and that's very cool. Uh, but my Lord, her military career was schizophrenic. Uh, she started, she did 25 years starting as an enlisted sailor in the Navy, uh, went to the army, went to the air force as a security forces airman, and then returned to the army, Uh, where she eventually commissioned and became a field grade officer before retiring at 25 years. Uh, She has also spent 18 years in arts education. Um, All of it reflects itself in her work. It is the work of an experienced person, mature person, somebody that's grown up. And it made me think, you know, military does a lot for people in their lives. And it's underappreciated how much the military does for those in the arts. Uh, And the way that that intersected with Gina's life, I think, is really, really interesting. Um, Other stuff you should know. We recorded this in person, which was a blast. We did it at the World Famous Players in New York City, which is a private club, which felt very plush and awesome uh, to record it there. So shout out to them. And um, yeah, really enjoyed it. I mean, Gina, I I wish we had cameras on for this one. Gina is, uh, she's outspoken, boisterous, verbose, colorful, Um, you know, would have been great to have a camera on her. But anyway, we're working towards it. (laughs) Uh, But this is one where, um, yeah. I really enjoyed the hell out of it. It was, uh, it's just a blast being able to talk to people live. And for somebody like Gina that is so opinionated and uh, goes down so many rabbit holes and opens up so many, uh, you know, has so many ideas, so many concepts, so many feelings, so many emotions, uh, so many experiences that she kind of blows past. and It's like, wait, 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 what did you just say? What just happened? That, yeah, it was really important to do this live. And hopefully we'll do more and more of these as time goes on. Okay, without any further ado, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is Gina Herrera's Profile in Havoc. Welcome to the show, finally. How are oh, thank you, you, Gina? Thank you. <laughs>
1: thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm very happy to be here. I'm very honored.
0: Well, listen, I'm honored. I'm glad. I, I don't I don't just come into the city for anybody, but I was like, if Gina's here in the city, that was weird. That was weird. That timed out perfectly.
1: Yes, it, it did work out um, because I'm down here having a show at the Salmagudin that's fucking awesome. love uh, having a veteran show, and the opening's tomorrow starting at 6. So in case you decide you want to go, I have a spare ticket in case you want to attend.
0: How long is the show going for? It's
1: until July 28th.
0: That is awesome. Yes. I. Um, the short answer is yes. Yes, I'm going to come down because I actually have to be in the city tomorrow. Okay. This episode, by the time you guys are listening to it, this episode will not have aired yet so but the show will still be going on <laughs> by the time it airs so um we'll put out all the information on the Samagundi club cuz that's a really how much do you know about that club
1: well, um, I didn't really know a lot about it, but obviously it's been around for a very long time. And I've mentioned to several people, you know, like strangers that I've talked to during my long walks <sighs> in New York. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was telling them, well, they asked me like, why you're here? And yeah. I was explained to them that I was up in, uh, at the woman's studio workshop doing a paper making. And then I came down here, you know, to, you know, do some recon of things that I want to apply to or f- spaces. And I've mentioned to some, several people about the show and they're like, Oh my God, you know, like yeah. they, they were like drawn back. Like, I'm like, okay, well, my, <laughs> there must be some clout to this yeah. uh, club. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not very aware or know the history of it, but it seems like it's pretty important here in the city.
0: It, it is. It's well, it's so weird. I'm mean, just to, just to go off on a tangent about it. So this is the third time The Salmon Club has come up to me in like the past week, 10 days, and I can't remember why the first reason was, but whatever the reason was, I looked it up, Uh and then I was like, oh crap, I remember having walked past it in the village. Uh A lot of times, it's in a coolest spot. Yeah. I mean, you've been over there now, haven't you? No, I yet? not yet. Oh, it's an awesome like, historic spot in Greenwich Village, in the West Village, Um, just a really cool place. And I started reading about the history. And then how they have this Coast Guard art Mm -hmm. program where they like have a bunch of artists dedicated to doing stuff about the Coast Guard and they have a big veteran Mm -hmm. component to it. And I was like, how cool is that? And then, of course, you have a show there, yes. which is fucking badass. And so, is it a group show or? Yes,
1: it's a group show.
0: And what's the group? What, what are they saying? Veteran artists or it's what called, is it? It's
1: called an onward journey, okay. and it's just I don't know. They Paul and uh, Omar, I think, are the curators. Okay. And Mia, uh, she was part of the curation, but she something she had some other commitments, so I'm dealing with. Um, Paul and Omar. I'm hopefully I'm remembering her name correctly. If, if not, I'm sorry. If not,
0: we'll put in the show notes. That's all right. Yeah. yeah.
1: And um, so so I've been contacted by them, and then you know I had to ship my piece. And it's a small wall hanging. Um, because originally they were asking for like three, but they only picked one because I don't know how big the space is. Yeah. And things like that. Yeah. So.
0: What is it? What did you send them? Is it a wall hanging? It's, it's a not, wall It's hanging. not a sculpture necessarily.
1: Well, it's sort of 3D sculptural from the wall, you know. It's it's a small piece okay, and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't know what the space is. Yeah. But it would be interesting when I go there tomorrow to see, like, oh, my God, could a sculpture of mine fit in the right. show and things like that.
0: From the pictures I've seen, it doesn't – I mean, it seems like it's like the room we're in. Yes. It's, it's mm-hmm. you know, not – tall ceilings, yes, not huge yes. space like that. By the way, we should mention we are at the Players Club right now doing this live. So you're like getting a tour of all the different private clubs in the city. <laughs> Pretty much. You're just bouncing from one to the other. Um,
1: I'm a big player right now. <laughs> you're a big
0: player. You're big, <laughs> Bakersfield's best. You know, you got you to put out the dog for you when you come to town. So how did they find the piece? Do you know? Do you know how they knew about it or knew about you?
1: Um, well, when I was part of the NEH fellowship in Chicago, that's where I met Mia. And then she was saying, do you want to do a show in New York? And I'm like looking at her, I'm like, okay, you know. But I didn't really know where the place was going to be. And then she, you know, um, reached out to me a little bit later. And then I submitted some pictures. And then they all three together got together. I don't know. And they pick one. And that's just how it happened. I mean, it was just kind of like we were just having lunch one day um, at the Hyde Park Center. Mm -hmm. And then she just told me, you want to be in a show? I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) You know, so I just... uh, Wow. You know, I just, I don't know. It just, it it just happens. It's
0: fucking awesome. Yeah. (laughs) So let's talk about that. Cause you, cause ask me what you asked me before off air, before we were going to talk because, cause I got to remember that myself, but you're getting out there a lot more now. And I think you're getting a lot more notice. It seems like.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of Instagram, but, um, you know, I've gotten, some people have been reaching out and things like that. And so my question to you was like, what made you decide to reach out to me to do this podcast?
0: So I think the first thing I got to remember, um, what it was, I'm not such a whore that just anybody is like, Hey, veteran artist bitch, and let's go get them. Um, I, it wasn't that, but I think it was for, I mean, the first criteria with anybody we have on the show is I have to like their work. So it has to be something where it's like, Oh shit. Yeah. Cause I'm enough of a ham that I can bullshit enthusiasm if I need to, <laughs> but I really re- like, we like doing long form conversations. I'm like, I'll be exhausted. If I got to bullshit my way through like an hour <laughs> and a half, you know, two hour conversation with somebody. And I'm like, yeah lukewarm on what they do. So I think that was the first thing. The other thing is I, um, that really made me want to talk to you was that you were a sculptor. Yeah. Oh. We haven't had a sculptor on the show and I don't know why. Um, I guess off the top of my head, I don't know that many veteran sculptors, but I also am a huge fan of sculpture. And it was so funny yesterday up in Orange County where Vet Rep is, uh, we had the Orange County Arts Council had had a creative impact conference, like their first big annual creative conference about arts and business and all that. And one of the guys there was a sculptor, like a world class sculptor. And I was like, please, for the love of God, tell me you're a veteran or an immediate family member of a veteran so I can loop you into what I do. And he's not. And I was like, well, I really fucking like your work. I'm <laughs> congrats. You know, unfortunately, that's as far as I can take you. But um, but there's there's not that many that I know of. And I think the fact that you do such cool work and that you're working in a medium that I don't know a ton of other veterans working in, I think was really sexy. That really stood out to me.
1: Well thank so you very that. much.
0: There's that. How long have you been at it? How long have you been sculpting?
1: Well, I professionally I've been doing it for ten years. Okay. Um I've, since I you know, when I went to grad school, I went I started going to grad school right after nine you know, uh when I came back from Iraq. I mean, I just okay. came into country like I don't know, maybe like June and then or maybe not June, maybe April or so. And then I went to grad school. I rot away. And I was originally a painter, an oil painter. I was going
0: to ask. Okay. And
1: and I was sort of like having this conflict within myself because I'm using a medium that's toxic, you know, because oil paint and turpentine. But I mean, I still love oil painting. I mean, I haven't done it at all. But I mean, every time when I go see a painting show and if the show, if the paintings are great it's like oh my god it's like i i get inspired yeah um but i haven't figured out what subject matter yet but um yeah i've been thinking about it um so then that's when i start playing around because i was I went to grad school in philadelphia and you know it's like new york you see all the trash in front of the buildings and it's like tons of trash and sure so i kind of like thought to myself when i was in iraq i saw this place called the graveyard And it was like tons and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of acres of U.S. trash that we left behind. And sort of like that was sort of like in the back of my mind. And then, so that's when I decided to start using foul materials. And so I've been doing that for the last 10 years. And then I'm using more welding, trying to find, you know, steel. I go down to a place in L.A. and I find like salvage metal, you know, sometimes they take apart old homes and they, you know, have metal and old uh, fencing. So I'm using that. But then I'm also, this past summer, I went to Colorado and I'm experimenting with clay, clay and metal. I'll have to show you a picture.
0: No, I saw some of the clay you've been working with. Yeah, so I've
1: been thinking about that, you know, like, you know, water and fire, you know, earth. Yeah. Because, I mean, they both come from the earth and things like that. So, and then I did the paper making studio, and so I I've, I've had done paper making, you know, when I was back in my undergrad. So I'm now deciding maybe put paper and metal together. So I'm just trying to like cool. expand my vocabulary, and not continually do the same thing over and over sure, again. Sure, sure. So that I have different, you know, maybe people will be more attracted. Oh, I really like this piece, but you know, I really like this, you know, right. so I have more of a a vast amount of audience. They might like different kinds of components of my work.
0: Totally. Let's start at the beginning. Were you an artist from birth? Were you an artist from very early?
1: Well, I've always been uh, uh, an artist. I remember I'm an only child and I remember my mom and dad had this little table and I can vaguely remember it was a little table with two chairs, orange chairs, and it had like some kind of like pattern. And I would sit there drawing angels And I don't know where I got the idea of angels. I don't know. Maybe, you know, I dreamt of them or I've seen them or I've experienced them. I don't know. I mean, because I've always feel like I'm very strong with spirituality. Not saying that I go to church. No, I got But I mean, I feel like there's a higher power. Mm. And and so I don't know. I always felt I'm different and I don't really fit in. Yep. And so nature was my, my, my savior, you know, like I felt like I was one with nature. Like when I had my dog, because when we bought the house, the guy was going to euthanize the dog. And my dad said, no, we're going to keep the dog. And I think the dog was kind of abused, um, cause in Chicago they have like these levels where he had like was under the staircase. There was this cement thing. He left the dog there. I'm like, why would they leave your dog out there? It's fucking freezing in shit. Chicago. yeah But my dad said, no, you know, we're going to keep the dog. And it took a while for him to warm up, but he was like my brother. You know, he was my brother. Yeah. I never had, he had fur and we would go huh. on long walks. Yeah. And I, I have very fond memories of that, my, my dog, you know. But Were you
0: born in Chicago?
1: I was born and raised in Chicago.
0: Wow, where? Where in Chicago?
1: Well, it was an Edgewater area, and then we kind of moved around to Jefferson Park, and then eventually went into suburbs.
0: Okay, gotcha. So, yeah. What did your parents do?
1: Well, my dad was a factory worker. Okay. Um, my dad never really finished school at all. He doesn't have any diploma at all, sure. but he was in the military, Huh. He went in the Navy when he was about 17 or 18, stayed in about four years. And my mom has lived and was born in Costa Rica. And she has like a little bit more of a college degree uh, mm. in accounting. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's and my my mom never really used it, but she's very good financially. I mean, she saves a lot of money. Uh, she was able to pay the houses really quick wow. and stuff like that. my mom is very financially savvy. Um, but she never really went into that profession. She went to daycare center. Really? She worked with little kids for many years. And I remember going see sometime picking her up and I'm like, How the fuck does she deal with all these kids? I'm like, they would drive yeah, right. me insane. Right. Sure. But then years later, look, I'm a teacher too. So <laughs> but at a different level, it was high school. So Got in, you. in college.
0: But you weren't surrounded by the arts then at an early age, were you?
1: Well, I oh well to backtrack I want to tell you a funny story my mom I don't I bless my mom she always tried putting me in certain things like she yeah. she put me in piano class because huh. she wanted me to be a pianist <laughs> so they gave me a cardboard piano with, Oh, right. You know, black to and practice. white keys yeah, to yeah, pra- yeah. so I would take it home and I would practice and then I went back to the class and they had a real piano so I was like you know banging on a piano com- piano, and then, you know, I got kicked out, so the teacher said, please take your daughter out of the class. <laughs> Next day, my mom said, well, I was going to be an Olympian, you know, so she put me in gymnastic, so if they told me to do a somersault, I did cartwheels, and then I just kept doing it, and never listened, I got kicked out. Then the third thing my mom put me was an ice skating, because I was going to be an Olympic ice skater. <laughs>
0: Was this her saying it? Was she like, was she driven she for me to be the she best? Was,
1: was she, I think maybe subconsciously my mom wanted me to excel in yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. She was just trying to figure out what area I'd be sure. strong in. Sure. So I remember one time I was, you know, skating and I went right in the middle of the ice rink. And the teacher kept saying, okay, you need to come back because you got to leave. And I'm like, no. And I was having a tantrum. So they had to call my mom.
0: Oh, you were a pain in the ass. Yeah, oh, I was yeah, a real yeah, pain yeah. in the ass. Yeah. And
1: my mom gave me a certain look. And I'm like, oh, shit, I'm in <laughs> trouble because I didn't know that look. <laughs> and so anyway, long story short, I remember we were walking down Clark Avenue. And my mom, she was like yelling at me. And I don't remember what she yeah, said. Yeah, right, right. So anyways, I had a friend at that time. And she was taking private art classes. And I'm like, oh, my God. Maybe because I was remembering when I was five years old, you know, and the feeling that I would get making those little drawings of angels. And I told my mom, I said, Mom, so-and-so is taking these private art classes. Can I take one? And my mom kind of was a little skeptical because, you know, I got kicked out three times already. right, right, right. And my mom said, okay, we're going to try it one class and see what happens. So obviously they put me with with the kids of my age. And I got so upset and so annoyed because these kids were running around. They weren't concentrating. (laughs) And it got me so mad. And I went home and I said, mom, I really need to be in the adult class. I was nine years old, okay? I was telling my mom I had to be in the adult class because I want quiet while I'm doing my art. Wow. And so she talked to Lee, that was the teacher, and Lee said, okay, let's try it out. And that was it. I went there and I made best friends with all the adults there and I sat there for hours i mean they used to listen to classical music and you know rock and all that and some there's certain songs like i remember um certain songs will bring me back to that day you know because music really makes you hold on to a memory so strongly sure Sure. and i took the i took that private class for i don't know maybe five five years or so and everything and And it it disciplined
0: you Yes. Like unlike everything else. Oh
1: yeah, I was, I was, wow. I was in my dream world. I mean, right. I was so happy to be there.
0: And what were you doing? What kind of art were you doing?
1: I was like. doing more realism. You know, I did like animals, I did portraits. I did, I use oils, pastels.
0: Did they have models? Were they taking pictures? No, what would, were you guys doing? From- no,
1: I would, I would just have a pic- picture, find a picture in a magazine or okay. a photograph and then I would just draw from it.
0: Okay. So, and
1: I won several prizes, you know, they had like little art shows and things like that. And so, I mean, I was really happy. I mean, that was my happy time and stuff like that. So it was really great.
0: That's awesome. Did you think at that point, this is what you wanted to do with life? I mean, you're what, nine, 10, 11. I mean, were you like, this is who I am? Or was it just a, a really fun detour on the way to somewhere else?
1: Well, you know, I always wanted, ever since I was a young girl, I, I want to become a famous artist. And it's still to this day, that's my goal. You know, I've always had that. But it's sort of like I've taken some detour because when I got into high school, I was going to go to art school. But then I, I don't know, I did it to myself. My parents never said anything because they supported me. Luckily, they were very supportive of my juncture in my life. Wow. And um, I decided to go to fashion design school. So I graduated high school and I was 16. And so I went to co- school to study fashion design in Chicago. The school doesn't exist anymore. Wow. And I did it for two years. And, you know, I was in the Chicago Sun-Times. And, you know, I had a little bit. I was on a couple shows. Yeah. <laughs> TV shows and things like that. Um So then after that, I mean, I had my own business for a while and up to about 22, but I was very young and naive, you know, trusting people. And I got screwed over several times. People didn't want to pay. And then I just got, I don't know, maybe not depressed, but I got very upset and I said, forget I'm going to go in the military. So that's when I went in the military because I, I always wanted to, you know, I wanted to go into Air Force when I was in high school. But I didn't have perfect vision. I want to be, you know, an F-14 pilot.
0: Wow. Um, wow! But
1: but they didn't let me because I didn't. I had classes at that time. Wait,
0: where, where did that come from? Just, uh,
1: I don't. Know. I always like. I want to always like to go fast. I mean, I love driving fast. Um, you know, I would have been a race car driver too if I wanted uh, to. You know, because I I'm that's I'm pretty competitive when it comes to that, especially. You know, if it's against a guy, you know, yeah. cause sometimes guys think women don't know what to do. So I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to prove you wrong and stuff like that. Are you so.
0: ambitious? Are you just innately ambitious?
1: I'm pretty ambitious. Yes.
0: Like we're never talking about like, well, I thought I might try art. It's like, so I was going to be the best artist around. Like, like you're, you're, you, it seems like that's a thing.
1: Yes. I'm very, when I'm, when I'm, uh, like something, I do it to the best of my ability. I'm very, you know, proud of this. And art is something, it's my passion, it's my love, and I have to be the best. You know, and I I, I want to go on this journey doing it the right way, meeting the right people, connecting with the right people, right, you know, group or whatever. Right. But I never want to do anything to hurt anybody because I don't think if you do something bad, the bad karma will sure. come back. Sure, sure. So, yes, I am very driven and even though, I mean, I do have my dark moments where I'm, I'm very, you know, Again, in, a, in a, what you call a rut, of course. and you're like yeah. this artist, like block, and you're like, what the fuck's wrong with me? You know, right. like wondering, like, oh my god, am I going to be great? And so, so it's like a, being an artist, is like a roller coaster. You know, you have your highs, and then you have your lows, and then sometimes you're kind of coasting. Then you sometimes go up and things like that, and and it takes a lot of persistence and a lot of discipline. I mean, because I I work a full time job. Sure. And I'm an adjunct professor. So I'm basically working two jobs
0: of course. and
1: doing my art at the same time. So yeah. I don't have the luxury like a lot of artists that they have a studio yes. space and they make their art. But I know they probably have their own issues trying to pay their rent or, you know, sometimes they may not be able right. to eat. Right. So they have their own issues and things like that. But I mean, I wish... That I can one day just make my art, eat, breathe, yeah.
0: and yeah, just yeah, yeah.
1: go wherever I wanna go. And-
0: but it seems like even in high school, I mean, if you graduated at 16, you were kicking ass academically.
1: Well, I wasn't really the best high school kid, but I
0: mean. <laughs> so how the hell did you graduate at 16?
1: I just went to summer school. Like before I went, became a freshman, I went, you know, like after eighth yeah, yeah, grade, yeah. every summer I just took a class. Why? Because I hated high school.
0: You want to get through. I it just as want fast to go.
1: To, I just want to get. Th- I want to do my career.
0: What did you want that career to be at that point? Was it art or was it, it fashion? It was, was
1: art. It-, it was some. It was. I wanted to go to art school, but I don't know. I started taking home ec, and I really liked sewing, and it was very relaxing. And I figured, well, I could make money off of this because I was always thinking about how I'm going to make money. Yep. And being an artist, I'm like, well, how am I going to make money? Sure. So it's kind of like. Well, okay. It's kind it's an art, it's an artistic form. It's different. And people have to wear clothes and I don't know why uh, they uh, want to run around naked. Right.
0: Well, it's, it's like poets become songwriters. Mm-hmm. Artists might go into fashion because like yes. that's something people are actually going to buy. Yes, right. Yeah. Yes.
1: So, so yeah. So I decided to do that because I like figure I got to make money. So, I mean, that's what I did.
0: And when did you make that decision? Was it at senior was it senior year or was it? It was just prior probably to
1: that? when my you know when I graduated junior year. I think probably between sophomore and junior is when I decided because I took, I think I took three years of home ec. and I think I really because I what I was doing was I was like, I would buy the patterns at the store, but I always would alter them. I always would change sure. them out. Sure, I didn't. So I mean, I always had some kind of. I would like to change it up.
0: What were you finding? What what kind of clothes, what kind of fashion was turning you on?
1: I don't really remember. I don't, because, you know, over there was, you know, in the 80s, you know, it was all like, you know, loud colors and baggy pants, parachute pants. and. You know, stuff like that. I don't really don't remember. (laughs) I don't know if I really was looking at fashion. I just thought I was interested. But I remember when I was 18, I came to New York to see FIT.
0: Yeah.
1: And I was going to go there. And the funny story was they, you know, took me on a tour and I went to the dorms. And it it was basically like half of this room, but it was like a long room. And that was the dorm and like two people sleep in it. And I'm like, there's no way in hell would I sleep in here. And who would have known years later I'd be living in a shithole with a military?
0: Makes you appreciate everything. Yeah, Yeah. worse,
1: worse way of living. (laughs) And I I I rejected living in a dorm at that
0: time. So (laughs) I there's a there's a moral in that. There's a moral in that for a lot of artists and people in the fashion world and and the art and the creative class, I think that sometimes there's something really healthy about just going, man, I'm in the shit right now. And what that does for you for your low maintenance lifestyle and how that frees you up and Mm -hmm. you're not, you lose a lot of the preciousness. Mm -hmm. I think that's really valuable sometimes, Mm -hmm. sometimes for certain people at the, did you go and actually see an air force recruiter at some point in that high school time? Or was this just an idea in the back of your head that, Hey, if I could, I would, I would fly planes.
1: No, there was a, there was a career affair. Uh, You know, sometimes high schools have that. And I went up to their table and I told him I wanted as he looks at me. And he, I had glasses or maybe contacts at that time. And he said, well, do you wear either or? I'm like, yeah. He said, no, you can't do it. And now years later, you know, now they accept it. But they, you know, it wasn't meant to be, you right. know. Um, and so
0: you wrote it off at that point. You were like.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, th- this was way, I was already in the military for a long time when that passed. Yeah, right. And then I was past the age already. So I'm like, well, I can't do that.
0: But and- I mean, but did the military, did the even idea of joining the military kind of wash out right at that moment? Or was it? kind of in the back of your mind of like, oh, well, maybe there are other jobs.
1: Yeah, exactly. That- it did, it kind of like put a sour taste in my mouth because sure. that was something I'm like, I really wanted to do that. And so he kind of like discouraged me. So, I mean, I yeah. was like, what, 16, 17. Sure. So it wasn't until like five years later when I revisited again. And I thought about like my dad and I'm an only child, like I mentioned before. And, you know, when I die, my name dies, that's yeah, it. You know. Yeah, so yeah. I kind of like did it, Kind of because of curiosity, and but also to do in my dad's honor. Even though he didn't, wasn't happy when I signed up, he was really upset because my dad was in a Korean War. And from what I understood, because my dad never really talked about it, but I think my dad saw a lot, and I, don't, I think he was really fearing that I was going to see a lot too. So he was worried about that. So, But years later down the road when I became an officer and I got commissioned, my dad was really proud of me.
0: We'll get to the military part, I guess, then in a second. I got a bunch of questions that I want to ask you now about that. Because I think that idea of doing something in your father's honor, I mean, it seems like no matter what you were going to do, you were going to push to be the best at. So your name was going to live on and have some sort of honor rebounding to him. No matter what you did, it seems like, right? Talk about your foray into the fashion world, though. So when you pivot now hard, that's it. Blinders on, you're going to go and kick ass doing fashion. What was the experience like? Was it freeing? Was it limiting? Was it scary? Was it, what was the, obviously it didn't end the way you wanted it to, but what was you? What was the experience like getting into it and going, I'm going to be a creative and this is what I'm going to do with my life?
1: Well, you know, that's a very interesting question because when I went to start uh, fashion school, I was only 16. Yeah, You know, and everybody else was already, you know, 18, yeah, 19 yeah, yeah. or older. But, you know, there were always some people that always, and, and, and throughout my life I always had one or two people that was always like against me. Um,
0: In what way? What do you mean?
1: Well, they kind of like sometimes would say shit about me to other people so that everybody would like go against me for I don't know what reason. Um, but I always have been like a lone wolf. And this happened to me in grad school too. Huh. Um, not so much at SIC, which is School of the Art Institute, because I was w- going there part time. So every class I was with different people. So it wasn't you going through the same classes with the same group of people. Right. But um, but when I was there, you know, I I was quiet, did my work. But there was this one woman in particular where you know I could tell that she came from money, and she really didn't need to go to school. I mean, I think she was doing it just like a like a hobby. Right, it's a thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, for some reason, she maybe was jealous of me. And then there was another girl there that, you know, hated me for what river reason? Because I never did anything to her. Um, but I kept striving for the best, you know. I'm like, well, you know, it's almost like when people put me down or say shit about me, it's almost like putting fire in a coal, you know, yep. like, you know, like yep. putting that igniting fuel. Yep. And I'm like, okay, you can keep saying shit about me, but I'm going to prove you wrong. And it's the same way. Like now, I'm on this journey right now, and everybody that maybe said shit about me, or yep. you know, talk behind my back, or said anything, one day they're going to see me.
0: Yeah. And
1: one day they're going to like see me in Art in America. I will be on the cover <laughs> of Sculpture Space, or I'm going to yeah. be at a Guggenheim, or wherever. Yeah. I'm going to have a solo show. You know, I mean, or you know, a retrospective in New York one day, um, and they'll be like, "Oh my God, that's." That's that person. And then if they come up to me, I may, may remember, may not remember, but I mean, my aunt, the people that were not nice to me, I always going to remember them, you know? And so that's kind of like helps me.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Do you ever think about where you'd be without your enemies?
1: <laughs> you know, that's a good question. I never really thought about that. I mean, I, I mean, I do believe that.
0: I think sometimes they're more valuable than your biggest advocates. Because sometimes they give you that fuel. And it's like, like I, you know, the one I always think about. Uh, sorry, I, I'm not going to interrupt your answer, but I always think about Gene Hackman. Because he always said his whole career was a fuck you to everybody. Because when he got out of the Marines okay. and tried to be an actor, they were like, you're a balding, about-to-be-middle-aged guy. There is no way you will ever be a movie star. <laughs> and he was like, my whole career is a fuck you to them. And that's how him and Dustin Hoffman became friends. Because people said to Dustin Hoffman... You're a small, short Jew. You're never going to be a leading man in the movies. And they met at Pasadena Playhouse and were like, basically, the fuck you guys. They were like, yep. And it's because Gene Hackman actually used to get in fistfights at the Howard Johnson's that's no longer there in Times Square. So if you're walking through Times Square, where the old Howard Johnson's used to be right there in Times Square, he actually said he used to get in fistfights there and he'd get in them just to remind himself how pissed off he was. Hmm. And they, But he's like, his whole career was a chip on the shoulder. Say, so, yep. Yeah, I'm a balding middle-aged guy, and I'm going to be a fucking movie star. And, I, and I'm kind of like, interesting. Like you know, Sometimes that's really valuable to have that chip on your shoulder. Anyway, not to cut you off, what did you think? What's your experience with that? Do you ever think about that?
1: You know, like I said, I, I never really thought about it. But what I, what I was saying was I always believe everybody comes in your life for a reason. Yeah. You know, sometimes a short time, yeah. sometimes for the long haul. And every, every person that you meet teaches you a lesson. And sometimes the lesson can be really tart and ugly and you don't like it, but it's sometimes it's a reflection to yourself to say, Hey, maybe there's something that you need to change. You know, the momentum, you know, because sometimes we get like stuck somewhere and sometimes you you're in that you're rolling in that same stuckness for a long time until somebody might say hey have you ever thought about this and you're like oh i never really thought about that you know i mean i've i've gone through those dark times you know yeah. and things yeah, like yeah. that and sometimes somebody would say something to me like what what did you said and i'm like years later i'm like oh now i understand what that person was saying yeah. but um yeah. I never really thought about that question, but now, I mean, I'm going to go home and start thinking (laughs) about that question because, but it is a value because, you know, I just, there are people in particular that I want them to see me succeed. Yeah. And I want them, you know, to say, well, maybe I, maybe I wasn't as smart as you, you know, and I can't do math the way you do, but I'm smart in a different way. Yeah. You know, I mean, because everybody has a different way of learning things, you know, yeah. it's a different, different intelligence. Yeah. And sometimes there's people that are like so smart and I admire, I'm like, wow, I wish I could be like that, but I never, I'm not envious. I, sometimes I just question like why did that person is making it, yeah. you know, and why <laughs> right. not me? Right. But it's also, I think comes back to timing because the universe knows when it's your time and when you're ready for it, yeah, because right. when it comes to you, you better prepare for the ride.
0: That's right.
1: And I think, I think even though being in the military had its moment and it sucked, you know, but I think being in the military really helped me to give me discipline and resilience and dealing with all kinds of personality, different types of people. Um, because, you know, in the art world, you're going to be dealing with different types of people and, yeah. And I'm very intuitive, you know, Like I can always tell, like just meeting somebody, I can feel their energy and I feel like, you know, I could, I'll have a good uh, conversation with this person yeah. or no, I think I'm going to stay away from that person.
0: <laughs> yeah. So. so talk about where things went south then when you were doing the fashion piece. So what, what started to happen that kind of soured you? Cause It's a hard gear shift to go from the creative class (laughs) to the military, right? So what happened?
1: Well, I remember um, when you're in a fashion, I had my own little business. And so I would travel like locally, like in Illinois or Michigan. They had like these like fairs or whatever. Mm. And I would show my clothes and people would come and they would either buy my clothes.
0: Did you have a whole line? Well, it yeah, it was like a little
1: line. Basically, okay. what I was trying to find was like a boutique that would carry my clothes. Mm. And um and I remember one time somewhere, I don't know, out of state, bought a few of my pieces, and I don't remember how much they were, but I'll just make a number. They owe me like five hundred dollars. Okay? okay. Back then five hundred dollars was five hundred dollars. Sure. Okay. Right, right, right. And they never paid me, and I kept, you know, contacting them and, and then I was like, I lost several thousand dollars. Because, you know, to to go to these fairs, you had to pay for the booth. You know, I had to pay for my travel, my hotel and everything like that. And I mean, I was like 18 years old doing this, 18, 19 years old doing this. And I just, I don't know. One time I came home and I was crying and crying. And I was like, you know, why are people cheating me? You know, why are they doing this to me? Because, I mean, I thought everybody was good you know but yeah. years later i don't think that, <laughs> <laughs> i don't think that as much you know yeah. i know there's still good people but it's a it's very hard yeah. to find those genuine honest people sure so so that's when i i just got fed up and i said no i'm not I can't keep making this and putting my heart and soul into something that people yeah. are gonna cheat you know cheat me cheat on me with my money their money and stuff like that so i just said forget it I said, that's it.
0: Did you lose a passion for clothes or do you think it maybe wasn't there? It wasn't, it wasn't as close to your soul as, as you thought it was.
1: You know, when I joined the military, I didn't really ever thought about it anymore.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: I kind of like X it out of my head. Wow. And I really wasn't doing a lot of art for a long time or any kind of art form for a while. Wow. But I remember when I went to Germany, I started kind of like slowly, you know, visiting museums and looking at art and yeah. everything. But I, I mean, I did a little bit, but not consistently.
0: So talk about how you actually got into the military, like going to the recruiter because you went in and enlisted mm-hmm. first. Yes. So when you went to the recruiter, was fashion and the arts like completely did you completely compartmentalize, or were you still sort of in the arts world, and like, hey, let me put my, dip my toe in the water and see what this is like?" no kind I
1: kind of like? didn't do any of it, okay I don't know why it was kind of weird. I didn't really do much of it for a little bit, and then i then I went back to school, oh, I'm trying to think. Maybe like in my mid-twenties, I went back to school to go to my undergrad. And that's when I start rethinking it again and start doing it. Oh, and But I didn't really focus on one medium. You know, I took like photography for several years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did handmade paper for a while. I dabbled a little bit in wood. No metal. I never did any metal. I was surprised I never did. Um, So, yeah, I I started doing that. But I was only going part-time because I was a reservist. Yep. And I had to get a full time job because sure. I had to pay for my car and expenses and things like that. So, when I went to the school of the art institute, I just only did, um, you know, part time for a long time. And plus, the school was so fucking expensive. Yeah, I mean, it was like seven thousand dollars a semester. Wow. Now wow. it's like fifteen, sixteen thousand wow.
0: now. Holy shit!
1: Yeah, I mean, I had a small scholarship, but I mean, it wasn't enough to cover. Anything plus my mom and dad was working two jobs, helping me pay for it, and then I was helping them um, to get me through to school and stuff like that.
0: So let's go to the recruiter. When you first walk into the recruiter, the last time you'd had contact with the military was when the Air Force guy told you you didn't qualify.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Why did you even bother going to the recruiter now? What even made you go see a recruiter in the first place?
1: Well, because like I said before that my business wasn't doing well and I just gave up on fashion. And I said, I just, I was just like telling you, like, fuck it. I'm like, I'm, I want something completely different. Like I totally did like a, you know, 180 or yeah, something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. I just said, forget it. I'm just going to try something different.
0: But with your skill set and your mindset, I mean, you could have done paralegal work. You could have done anything like that. Why the military? What would, do you know what it was about it that made you seek that out?
1: I wanted a challenge and I wanted to try it out because I never wanted later down the road said I could have, would have, should have. I didn't want to be like wondering like what happened if I never did it or didn't do it. So at least now I know what it is and I lived it and I understood it and now I'm done with it. You know, it's like, it's like a close another chapter of my life.
0: Were you physical? Did you look forward? Did you need a physical challenge? Did you need to sweat?
1: You know, I have never was a very physical, I mean, I'm active and stuff like that, but I'm not like, I mean, I've
0: seen ru- you out there welding and all that. So, I mean, I know you don't like to get dirty and get down and do shit. Yeah, but- I
1: do. I do that, but I was never athletic. Okay. So it was, it, I don't know, maybe that was sort of like a challenge for me because I mean, I'm not a runner, you know, I mean, I don't do, I mean, now I do, I mean, I'm a little bit more physical, you know, and things like that. I do take Pilates and things like that. And I do hiking, mountain biking. So I'm very active. Um, But uh, I don't know. I think maybe because of the challenge, the curiosity, and I wanted to see the world. I wanted to go places. I want to see what was out there. Because, I mean, I always lived in Chicago. I never, I mean, I went a couple times like different states driving, but I never went out of the country. So so. there's
0: some wanderlust kind of in there.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Interesting. Which recruiter did you go see?
1: It was a Navy recruiter. That was the way I went as
0: in the Navy. And how'd that work out?
1: <laughs> it worked out. I mean, I was working, I went, I went to Maine on a P3 Orion. Um, you know, I was checking the fuel and things like that. It was kind of fun uh, wearing your little jumpsuit thinking You're cool. And I mean, I went to, Ho- I went to Okinawa, so that was really good. But then during that time, you know, they decided to close a lot of bases
0: this was the nineties, right? When yeah. things were constricting.
1: Yeah. That was yeah. probably around that time. And then I'm like, well, I don't really want to be on a ship for two weeks. And now I just, that's one thing I kicked myself. I wish I did it. Cause then I would have understood what my dad talked about when he was on the ship for four years. And like, I would have liked to have, that would have been another way of me kind of bonding with my dad mm-hmm. in a different way. Yeah. But then I went in the army Why did I- So (laughs) wait, wait, So
0: wait, you were in the Navy for four years?
1: I don't remember. I think I was in for maybe about three years or so. Okay. And then I did a conditional release and then I went in the Army.
0: Active Army or Reserve? Reserve. Okay. So what was the, yeah, what was the thought process behind that then? Were you just sick of ships? Were you, did you want to jock up? I mean, (laughs) like-
1: I don't know what it was. I just figured, well, I'll just try that one. I don't. I really don't understand why I joined the army.
0: But you were active duty Navy, right? No, were reserve reserves. Navy. So when you went in, so did you? Even when you first joined the Navy, did you? Oh, you, you must not have thought of it as a career, right? Or did you think, oh, this is something I'll do parallel to what I do on the civilian side for twenty years? I, I could retire. I could. This could be like you know, supplement my civilian career
1: kind of that was my idea but i didn't think i was gonna last as long as i did because after eight years i'm like oh this is fucking sucks you know and i'm like oh my god but you're eight years it's like it's like i think they do that yeah, you know, unintentionally yeah. to make you think like eight years is only two more years to ten, to half, yeah, and then uh. you got twelve more years, you'll make twenty, and then you got it. It's like it's like they're they're like a you know they're waving waving a bone to the dog and say, right. okay, do you want the bone right. or not? Right. You know, yeah, and so I just like ah, oh, fuck it, I'll just do it. So then I just re upped again and things like that, and then
0: so but why the army then? So so and Dan, this is nineties era army, right? So this was. I, mean, I
1: don't know why. I mean, maybe because I like the uniform. I don't
0: know. <laughs> really? I don't
1: know. I don't really
0: don't. For somebody so ambitious, that's <laughs> shockingly little thought about what you're going to be ambitious about. <laughs> I should I should ask you that. Were you ambitious in the navy? Like when you got in the military, did it? Was there something nice about suddenly being in a system, unlike the arts or the fashion or the creative? pursuits where, Oh, you need me to do this. And then I get that cool bitch. And that's easy because it's so like, there's something I find so comforting in a perverse sort of way about going, Oh, if you're just telling me I have to do this and then I get that too easy done. Because when you come from the arts, oh, I can do this, 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 and I'm not going to get a fucking thing for it. So if you tell me suddenly there's a meritocracy to it, and if I do X, Y, and Z, I automatically get this, mm-hmm. that's a pretty good fucking deal. Mm-hmm. Did you find that, or was that not your experience?
1: Well, in the Navy, it's really hard to make rank. You have to take a test. Right. And stuff like that. And I think that, I now to retract, I think that was one of the reasons why I went in the Army, because I heard in the Army you can get ahead oh, a lot faster. Oh, huh. interesting. Okay. So I think that was probably one of the reasons why I went in okay. because I wanted to make ring, But I don't think I wasn't really super ambitious at that time in the military. Really? I kind of like was just going with the flow, figuring it out. You know, you just, hadn't
0: gone with the flow in anything in your life up to that point, though, had you? That seems like a big character shift for you.
1: Well, you know, I, I am pretty easygoing. You know, I'm a pretty easygoing person. I mean, I don't like drama in my life, okay, you know, but sure. when I, when I feel like someone is going to bring drama or give me issues, I stay away and I just sure, move on, Sure. you know, and stuff like that. But the army and military is always drama all the time. So it's kind of <laughs> funny how I survive almost 25 years, um, because it's very drama orientated,
0: you know, I'm, Sure.
1: it's about a lot of kissing up and shit like that. Of course. Um, but I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, I just don't.
0: Because like everything like even how you talked about everything else, you're like, so I was gonna be the best artist, so I was gonna be the best firepower, so I was gonna be the, the best at this, but then it's like, and then yeah, I'm just in the military. I'm just yeah, I'm doing this, I'm on the P three, whatever, you know, and I joined the army and it's like, wait, what? Huh? Is this the same person? Like, I mean, did you do you looking back, do you feel like you were that there was a a character shift for a little bit, even you know, just to kind of go, Hey, you know, you needed kind of a timeout and just to kind of just be swabbing decks for a little bit or something like it's just uh, I, I I need just to take my my foot off the pedal a little
1: well this is very interesting to think about all of this because I never really thought about it but I think maybe you are correct I think maybe I kind of like was taking it easy because maybe I was burnt out mm. you know because I was always pushing and pushing and pushing but later in my career you know I was in the army for a while and then you know I didn't like it so I switched to the air force <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and so I wanted to be a cop. So I went in the Air Force as a cop, SP, which the MP in the military, yeah, in the right. army. Yeah. And then after that, I got tired of that because it was all, you know, it was very, you know, political and stuff like that. And I wanted to become an officer. So the easiest way to do it was to go back in the army. So when I went back in the army, and then I was striving to be a one star general. I mean, I was going to try that, you know, but yeah. then when I made it to, you know, field grade officer and major, I just thought about ILE and then I had a friend of mine, she went through it and, you know, hearing her stories, I'm like, there's no way in fuck I'm going to do this. I mean, I don't have, and cause I'm working a full-time job and doing ILE online yeah. is like another full-time plus sure. during that time was doing my art. I'm like, no, which one takes priority? It was my art. So that's when I kind of dwindle out but you know okay
0: so let's so let's go holy (laughs) shit what a fucking ride so i told you it's a
1: roller coaster i'll tell you it's
0: but it's and it was hilarious is that it's not even the thing that you were like hey i'm gonna be the best at it's like this is all the stuff that's like yeah i'm chilling out but then i'm just gonna keep doing it and bounce around all these different things so when you joined the army what did you join as what did you get into what was your mos
1: i was a 71 lima what was that? Which, uh, admin special? I've been to admin specials the whole time okay. in the military, except in the Air Force. Okay. Um, so yeah, I was always working in the so office.
0: So you, so you, so you went in for that, but you thought you could get ahead potentially by joining the army yeah, now. Yeah,
1: but way. I was, I was an E3 for a long ass time because wow. I didn't know what to do because I... I didn't really have the right mentors to tell me, like, what do I need to do to move to the next? And I don't know why I wasn't really, like, more ambitious about it.
0: So weird. I
1: know. Isn't it weird? It was like like a Jekyll and Hyde or something like that.
0: And what were you doing? So while you're in the reserves, both Navy and in your Army reserve time, what were you doing on the civilian side concurrently?
1: Well, let me see. That's a good question. I think during that time, you know, I— Okay. There's a part that I've skipped. I did work in a fashion industry for a while. Okay. But that was, I think, before I went in the military. And I think that's when I got burnt out all around, you know, because I was doing my own business working in the fashion industry.
0: So separate from your own business, you were working in the fashion yes, industry. Yes. What were you doing?
1: I was like an assistant to a, a designer and I had okay. a woman. She was a real bitch. Oh, gotcha. oh, my God. She treated me like shit. Okay. You know? Yeah. And she's probably somewhere. She's dead by now. You know? <laughs> uh, right, she was, right, uh, right, I never forget her name. Name was Evelyn. Never going to forget uh, her name. But, uh, yeah, I think concurrently I was doing my own business and doing my, my you know, working in a fashion. And then that's when I decided to go and just dropped everything and just said, forget it. And stuff like that. And so
0: just do the military?
1: And just do the military for a while. But then I think I was working part-time. And then eventually, I remember I went to... I was starting to go to School at the Art Institute. So I was doing that and working like part-time jobs.
0: So you knew you were going to get back to the arts because yeah, you were going to was, school for it. it was
1: slowly coming back. But then okay. Bosnia happened, I think... And then I had to stop school for something.
0: Did you go over to Bosnia?
1: No, we landed up in Germany.
0: Okay, where? We're in Germany.
1: Kaiserslautern, k town. Yeah, sure, great town. Okay, and then, but I don't think that would. That I, w- I don't think I was in school at that time. It was a little bit later because when nine eleven happened, I was at the School of the Art Institute. So that's when I started. That was a little bit later. In my later twenties, early thirties was when okay. I went back. Got you. For some reason, something led me to go back to school and say, "You know what? I'm just going to go get my bachelor's."
0: Got you. But it was going to be in the arts. It, it was going to be yeah. in the
1: arts. Yeah.
0: You weren't going for like business management or no, something. Now that now no, you're in the military, No, I mean, so you still kind of identified as an artist on at least some level, in right?
1: Some levels, yeah. I mean, I always, I always was sewing. <clears throat> I remember when I was in Germany, I took. <laughs> I took my sewing machine. I had a little business <laughs> because at that time, you remember, you had to press your uniform, oh, shit. shine yeah. your boots. Yeah, yeah. So I had a little side business. So I would, people would give me their uniform. I would sew on their labels. I will like press their uniform and I made money that way. So I was still hustling.
0: You were still hustling.
1: I was a little bit hustling. I just, you know, I just remember that. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I had the commander like let me. You know, iron his uniform, I put starch. So he was like helping me out and I, and I was and then during that time I was going to Germany and going to different German museums and I used to take like weekend trips to Switzerland, Italy. Yeah. yeah. So I was visually, you know, grabbing it with my mind, you know, like I was absorbing all of the culture.
0: Were you doing anything on your own? <sighs>
1: Like in the arts? In or? the
0: arts, were you no. doodling, painting, anything, nothing?
1: I don't really, I vaguely remember. I don't think I really okay. was. I think all I was right. just visually absorbing everything. I mean, I still remember all that stuff. I mean, yeah. that stuff is still here. That probably was the best tour of my life. You
0: yeah, know? yeah.
1: And um, so, yeah, and then later and you know, down the road, I went to SIC, but I still was in the military, so I was juggling both that. And then... When 9-11 happened, I was in the Air Force, and I remember sitting in a box, because we were supposed to go to, we were supposed to go to Kuwait, but we never did. I landed up being in Wisconsin.
0: You were supposed to go to Kuwait after 9-11 or before? Okay, gotcha.
1: Yeah, and and I remember we never made it, uh, so we landed up guarding grass in Wisconsin.
0: Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I would sit in a shack for 12 hours and just stare at nothing or we we were at watching the airfield. Holy there was a, like a lookout fuck. tower and just sitting there and I'm like thinking, what the fuck am I doing? You know, I'm like, I'm like windling away and, and sort of like I was having like a, a revelation, like, like what the fuck am I going to do? I mean, I still was in art school, but I really wasn't sure like, what am I going to do? And I remember, you, you know, several times my mom suggested to me, why don't you be a teacher? And I told my mom, I said, Mom, I don't even want fucking kids. What the hell am I going to be with a bunch of kids? I don't want a child of my own. So why would I want to teach? So, And I know my mom said that to me several times. And then I remember sitting in his guard shack and I am like, what the fuck? And I remember I think (laughs) I was, I started drawing again. I, I do had some drawings. I started doing that. Because I was in school, but I had to you know, stop school, put school on hold for a year. And I'm thinking to my, oh, man. Well, I could make money if I become an art teacher. So I could be, and I make money as an art teacher, but I also could do my art on the side. So then I was shifting gears. So that There's
0: something about guard duty that's amazing for meditation. <laughs> you, I, you know, I, When you were saying that, I was just like, oh, yeah. So many fucking epiphanies happen when you're just there. <laughs> Either bored or just fucking desperate or like, I feel like all the bottom out moments of my life, I've somehow ended up on guard duty. And then you sit there and you're, oh, here's a good time to fucking recalibrate how the fuck I got here. And what needs to right, there's something meditative about it. It's a really, it's an, people pay thousands of dollars to go to resorts and retreats to figure that shit out. Just do fucking guard duty. It's so much fucking easier. Right? So wait, so wait, we, I, I don't want to skip over this though. Can you just talk about the process of jumping from the army to the air force? So you wanted to go security forces. So presumably you were just tired of driving a desk, and you wanted to play with guns. Is that what it was?
1: Um, to go to the air force? Yeah. Well. Yeah, I don't know what it was. I figure, like, I at one time I thought I was I was going to become a cop.
0: So where did that idea come <laughs> I don't from? Know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know So your motors on, but it's like, you're looking for the racetrack. It's like the motor's going, but I'm like, what track do I need to be on? Is that kind of what it is?
1: Yeah, because I did before I left Chicago for my teaching job in, in, uh, in California, I did apply for the Chicago police. So I was oh, already man. on the first level and I was already moving. I re- you know, when you have military, yeah, they always yeah, bump yeah. you up yeah. and I was ready to go to the next level but then I got my job in California oh, and then I stopped that. So, where was
0: the, what was the job in California?
1: To be a teacher.
0: Okay. I got, I, I got finished,
1: you. I, I graduated you. and I had my, my teaching credential or sort of, yeah.
0: So, wait, wh- how did you even apply for California? Was that just random? Was it like <laughs> these are the jobs that are open or where did that even come
1: from? Well, they had a job fair at Northeastern. In Chicago, they had like a right. job fair, so I'm like, I was looking for a teaching job for several months, and I had an I had to pay mortgage, uh, and I'm like, well, I need some. F- I mean, I was working at FedEx and I was working at Home Depot. I was working oh, two wow. jobs. Oh
0: wow, yeah, and, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and you're I'm just like, a
0: wage slave at that point. You're yeah, just doing an hourly. Like, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. I yeah. had
1: like no life. I mean, I was yeah. working and working, and um, so I just, uh what was the question again?
0: So how why California? How California?
1: oh, yeah, yeah, so I went to the job fair, and I always dreamt of going to California because had I, you been? I was there a couple of times, okay, um, and I'm like, well, I'm going to be by the beach and palm, uh, palm trees and everything right. like that, and I don't know something was telling me that I had to go, yeah, like intuitively, yeah. I had to go, so so that's why I land up in California,
0: okay. And that was in Bakersfield?
1: That's in Bakersfield, yes. Wow.
0: So that's what brought you out there. Yes. Okay, but then after you get the teaching job is when you decide to make the switch to the Air Force. Or uh, that already happened?
1: That already happened.
0: So now you're like, now it's schizophrenia. Now you're like, I'm teaching, <laughs> but I'm learning to be a cop in the Air Force.
1: No, this was, you know what, let me think about this because I'm like, my timeline, I don't know, I was a teaching at that time. I don't remember. I Maybe I was, but I, th- I I went back in the Army. Yeah, no, this was before. The Air Force was before I was teaching.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that whole cop dream lived and died before you became a teacher. Exactly,
1: yeah. Okay, yeah, you were out yeah. of the
0: Air Force and all yeah, that by I then. I went back
1: in the Army, okay. too. And then I went to get direct commission.
0: Got you, okay.
1: Because all I right. wanted, I because then and at that time... I think I already had like maybe 12 or f- 12 years already in the military and I already had my bachelor's Yep. and I'm already, okay, well I'm at the other end of the 10 year yep. mark Yep. and I'm thinking, well, I want to make money when I retire. So that's when I start being a little more driven in the military. And that's when I thought I was going to become a one-star general. Gotcha. And then I was going to go to war college. And then I you know, I said, no. Down the road, I said, forget. And then I got married. And I'm like, no, this is not for me anymore. I'm done.
0: Got you. Okay. So when you pivoted to the Air Force and you kind of reached your nadir, I guess, on that guard duty post (laughs) 9-11... And that was that really the pivot point that then turned you towards teaching. Going, okay, that's it.
1: Yep. Okay, got yeah. Okay, gotcha. That was a that was a very big pivot
0: point for yeah. me. Yeah.
1: But even when I was going, when I returned to SIC for art education, I really wasn't sure if it really was for me because I mean I didn't know how I was going to be in a classroom. But then yeah. when I student taught, I went to a really pretty hard school and in, down in, in South Side, Chicago. Okay. And you know, these kids come from projects yeah, and had right. a hard life and everything right. like that. Long story short, you know, I had this kid that was like, I don't know, six feet tall, sure. big guy, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and kid gave me attitude. I had another girl who was giving me attitude and I don't know after six weeks, I don't know what happened. I I I have a couple gifts that these kids gave me, and they one kid wrote me a store, uh, wrote me a song because he was like a rapper. Wow. And then one I still have this little bear that's on my bed because she said I was her angel. Holy and shit. till this day, I still have that bear, and I always wonder about that girl. Wow. Whatever happened, whatever she ever because she was really not talking to me at all. She gave me attitude. But I don't know. I don't know what happened. Maybe what I was talking about, what I was saying. And I don't know. I figured that was, that was, it was like the universe saying, this is what you got to do, Gina. And then when I moved out to California, the first year was really hard for me because I mean, I went from my big city to farmland. Yeah. And I'm like thinking, yeah. what in hell am I doing here? And so the first year after almost toward the end of the school year, this one class gave me an award saying that I was the best art teacher. Really? So I figured, well, this is where I'm supposed to be.
0: How did you feel being an art teacher? Was it fulfilling? Was it satisfying? Was it, did it seem like a step down or a step off your path?
1: You know, I mean, I mean, reflecting on it now... I've had many students have reached out to me or I've run into them in the streets or at Trader Joe's Mm. or they email me or contact me. And a lot of them always say that I changed their life. Wow. And I had one girl that, you know, she became a teacher. She's an elementary school teacher. And she told me that I was the only one that believed in her.
0: Holy shit. And she
1: was crying when she told me. And she's like 30 years old right now, Holy you shit. know, with yeah. a child, a daughter. And so I think even though sometimes it's hard being a teacher, but it, it, the money is not what it is. It's the, it's, it's the, what, the rewards that I get from my students. Yeah. You know, like letters yeah. or cards or sometimes kids gives me cookies or, right. or, or they go to Mexico and they bring me something back. I don't know, it's just, it is rewarding. But I mean, I feel that that chapter is coming to a close. Sure. Because it takes a lot out of me. You know, every school yeah. year I'm like so brain dead and I just want to do my art and my art is becoming way more important now. Of course, of course. So it's like I'm becoming more driven about my art now.
0: What, what happened with your art As you were teaching, did it get better? Did it mature? Did it get richer because you had to think because you were coming from it for the teacher's brain and thinking about, are you taking your own medicine? Are you doing the stuff that you tell the kids to do? Or was it completely separate and you're just so exhausted? Like you have scraps of energy left over for your art. It just suffers.
1: You know, when I went back to grad school, and I was doing a low residency, I was still teaching full-time, so the low residency mean that you go in the summer, and during the school year, you have a mentor that you talk to, or Zoom call, or whatever, so I was doing that, and, but I don't know, that's a good question, I don't, I don't know, I don't, I mean. I do say it does teaching does exhaust me. So sometimes I just go in my studio and I just sit there yeah. and just look, yeah. or I clean, or I try to like say, okay, I gotta do this. But when I started getting into shows or I was aiming to get into shows, then I, I really had to discipline myself, even though if I was really tired, I had to get into studio and I had to make things. And and my work has evolved and has matured. And I don't know if it's because of teaching, but I think a lot of it is because I go to residencies. So when I go to residencies, sometimes I might go there with an idea, but then my, my idea is completely different at the end. And I try, to, I try to put playful, being playful in the studio as like my number one thing. Mm. Because sometimes when you go with a preconceived idea, of something it never comes out yeah. because I believe that if you want something so bad it never happens you have to learn to let go so it's sort of like I put that in my studio where I say, okay I'm just gonna play and if it doesn't work up work out then I'll just scrap it and just do something else so yeah. that's what I do I mean I try to like play and in- and I kind of try to do that in my class, but even though I, I'm very, I'm much a very disciplinarian in my class. I run my class on like sure, a boot camp. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you know, otherwise yeah. these kids will walk all over you. Yeah. And things like that. But sometimes I would take things to school and work on it while the kids are working. And sometimes they'll come, Mr. Hey, what are you doing? What are you mm. working on? And sometimes it's interesting to hear their perspective or what they say or in the past when if there was shows that were locally, I would invite my students for extra credit.
0: Oh, really? So yeah, just for cool. them
1: to go there. Yeah. And sometimes they ask me some good questions sometimes, huh. you know, and yeah. I'm like, oh, wow, that's pretty. I never thought about Or they, they'd see, hey, Mr. I see this. That, was that what you were thinking or something like that? So sometimes I do learn from my students because, you know, they're, they're not an art critic.
0: Right. But right. they
1: have an interesting perspective. Yeah. And they have a different outlook on life and how they look at things and things like that. So...
0: What did you start to find artistically that was turning you on as you're starting to make a life in Bakersfield? Because obviously you started getting into sculpting, welding, dealing with metals and all that that you hadn't done before. Was that gradual? Did you instinctively pivot to that? What was the process like of changing the media that you were working in?
1: Well, when I was in grad school, I was using a lot of PVC pipes and connectors. Okay. Okay and as as they were growing taller, the balance, I wasn't able to like make something lean really far left uh, or right. yeah, or I couldn't really mean they were more like right angles. but I mean, I did use like a a a heat gun and I would bend the PVC pipe, but that, you know that's toxic and things like that. And I don't know. I started thinking like, well, how am I gonna make my sculpture and they gonna stand and I could really play with balance. So that's when I start taking you know some welding classes here and there. Um, I didn't never took like a three-month class. I just dabble here, dabble mm. there. And then eventually I'm like, well, I think this is my medium, so I start uh, I bought a welder. Um, wow. So I got money. And then I remember in Glendale, they used to have this great place for welding and learning metalwork but they close after COVID, which was just kind of uh, sad because I could take sad. a workshop there. Yeah, I mean, I would drive every day, every Saturday <laughs> with my husband, my husband would go mountain bike riding. And I would take the class, he comes back wow. and then we eat and then we go back home. I did that for like a month here or two months. Wow. And that's when I got introduced to plasma cutting.
0: Yeah, I wanna ask you about that. Before I do, I also wanna double back on something you brought up before. The environmental consciousness and the spiritual consciousness. When did those start poking their noses into your art more and more?
1: Well, I've always been, I always love environment and I've always loved nature. I mean, I've always, ever since I was a little child, um, I think that's always been subconsciously in my mind. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think when I went when I was in the army and I went to that graveyard and saw that with my own eyes and I was basically standing there in my in my camo representing the military and this is what we do to another country. I was really having a moment there thinking like, wow, we are like the biggest criminals in the world, you know. What we, we, we do this all the time. You know, like H and M or, you know, all these big manufacturers that make cheap fashion they would like, put all their stuff and they'll ship it somewhere else to another country. Or like I heard the story of Burberry's, you know, it's a high-end clothes. Yeah. They burn all their clothes instead of giving it to people. So we would take shipping containers and we'll just fill it up like Goodwill. We'll ship. We'll fill it up with all our shit and ship it through a third world country and and we just throw our shit everywhere. And that's the United States that does that all the time. And then the the garment industry is like the biggest... One of the biggest polluters, because now we have fast fashion where, you know, they make clothes like, you know, $5 for a shirt. Right. So, and people don't mend, people don't fix things. You know, like a long time ago, you would fix your socks. You know, if you had a hole in your socks, you would make, you would fix it. But now, oh my God, heaven forbid you do that. Now we're starting to see where people are recycling, you know, going to Goodwill, buying jeans and, you know, painting them and reselling right, it right, and right, stuff. Right. I mean, there's some fashion sure. designers that are doing that, but that's becoming more evident right now. But um, so, yeah, after I did that stint in Iraq and I went to grad school, that's when I had like the epiphany. I'm like, well, you know. This is something very important. And, and even still to this day, we, we are like, I go down New York and I see these tons of trash and you have all these vendors on a corner and selling stuff that's in plastic containers. Sure. I mean, and then, like the other day I was in Times Square and they would saying, let's use less plastic. You know, they had these big right, billboards. Right, right. And I'm like wondering, I just post that today. I'm like wondering like how many people look up and really look at that and really think about, you know, what impact that they're doing onto the earth. And I'm not saying that I'm innocent. Cause I'm by no means am I innocent. I'm also a polluter too, but I mean, I try to use less this and less that, but you know, it's kind of hard, you know, like you're in a big city. I, you can't carry a, a, a you know, self-container and say, like, Oh, can you fill my water bottle with tea here or something like that? I mean, it's just,
0: yeah, it's- I'm, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm to me, I'm like, until we suss out China and India, Whatever the fuck we do, and gonna fucking matter. Yep. They are so far ahead of us with pollution. Oh, it's yeah. like we could, we could, we could go back to the prehistoric age tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it's like whatever's bad is happening ecologically. It's like it's gonna happen just because of those two countries alone. Oh, yeah. The amount of, uh, of of and and we have put some good controls in place. But I want to say for you what did that do well first was that the biggest takeaway from your deployment is that had the biggest way that that deployment impacted you artistically was it was because it seems like that was a major inflection point in your outlook and it was like and at that point was it kind of i don't want to say a vow because that makes it sound crazy but was it like a front loaded concern that you were always going to look for how can i reclaim something how can i reuse something did that become like a modus operandi at that point?
1: Yes, I really, because, you know, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of artists that go to the art store and buy stuff and everything, which sure. is fine. You know, you, you whatever medium you want to do, but I felt like there's so much stuff yeah. out there. yeah I mean, I'm, I'm always inspired. Like, I mean, sometimes I go for a bike ride and I find something I'm like, Oh my God, I got to stop. And I drive my husband crazy. Cause I'm always like collecting things, you know, sometimes yeah. I find a stuffed animal yeah. or I find a toy and I'm like, okay, well, I'll just take it, wash it, clean, it, and I'll reuse it in my art, you know, and stuff like that. And so, you know, for the longest time, I've, that's what I've used. I mean, I, I always find things, and because I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, it's yeah. like sometimes yeah. you know, bottle caps are pretty. I mean, and but but you think about like plastic caps from a plastic bottle how many is thrown out on a daily basis i mean it's just just that little thing and now it's going in in you know in the ocean the the, in you know the turtles and the fishes and the dolphins the straws are 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 dying because of our pollution and things like that so it's just like all of that stuff makes me think about that thing you know and and so i'm like thinking well how can i Bring environmental awareness, but I don't really want to be like, shove it down your throat because, you know, as adults, adults are very resistant to change. Young people are a lot more willing to change, but after 18, for some reason, people stop and say, fuck it. I'm just doing what the fuck I want to do, and I don't care what you say.
0: I think it's also other concerns. I think it's also triage it's where does it stack on their list of priorities? When you're a kid, mm-hmm. you don't have a whole lot else to worry about, well, that's so you true. can do that. And then when you get older, you're like, "Yeah, bitching," but I also got to pay a mortgage. I'm doing this, and okay, I will say this: Did you notice in Iraq? Did was this your experience? I noticed in the third world how bad also the concern was for the environment. I remember certain countries that I was in, I won't name them because not trying to dime them out. But I remember driving with. Local police or local military or even just local folks, and they're just drinking something throwing it right out the window, like no I was like, man, an American would think like five times before they did that, and they or they'd at least turn around and have to explain it and go, "Hey, sorry, I know I'm being a dick, but I was like oh but but like wow, yeah, this is that's a thing you know, like in the burning of fecal matter and stuff like that where it's like the smog that would happen over a third world city, and you're like. Oh, holy crap. This is, like, I remember seeing, like, now we would think they're COVID masks, like N93 masks and all that. Mm-hmm. But people were wearing them before COVID because it was like, oh, yeah, you know, you're going into Kabul. Mm-hmm. Some <laughs> bad air. That's some really bad air. Like, you just don't even want to. It. And it's weird. It's like, um, but it is. I think it's like a triage thing. It's like, well, what are your concerns? It's like, yeah, I, what am I going to do, lecture a, some, a, a, one of these folks about it? It's like, they're like yeah, great, dude. Bitching, but I'm trying to make sure my family doesn't get fucking whacked by, you know, who the f- Al Qaeda, ISIS K, whatever the hell. And I'm like, yeah, I got it. And it's weird, but it's like, but at the same time, we need people that are also policing ecologically and environmentally to go, hey, we can be better. Hey, we can do better. And that and and also, I don't I don't wanna lose sight of this, but this is my other thing I want to say. The beauty that can come out of trash. Is I think a profound cool thing Mm -hmm. and I think there's something truly magical about that because I think that's something that does transcend shaming or lecturing or anything like that it's like hey look at the beauty that can come out of what would otherwise be discarded and there's something really poetic I think about that and it seems like you do that on a very grand scale because that's the kind of work that – because you're not doing – I mean, I know you have small pieces sometimes, but you work in a big medium. And there's something really powerful, I think, about that. Because that's something I think everyone can appreciate and go, shit, well, I'm looking i mean, at it, got to look at it differently.
1: Well, you know, I mean, my dream is one day I would like to make these like 20 feet, 25 feet tall. That'd be badass. With just all kinds of stuff. And, yeah. And maybe almost make them like – you know, like a circle, Uh, you know, like four of them, four directions, four, (laughs) yeah, four elements. And then we are the trash.
0: The trash
1: is looking at us because Uh, we are the trash.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So, I mean,
1: I mean, that's something that I'm, I've always have on the back of my mind that eventually I would like to make something that's large scale and something that, could stay outside, or if I found a, a big enough indoor space that could stay forever, Yeah. yeah, yeah. you know, because if, it's always going to be a reminder. Like, say, oh my god, that's all made out of trash, and maybe people think, wow, we do throw out a lot of trash and something mm, like that. So, yeah,
0: yeah. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I'm, I've
1: always, I've always dreamt of that, but you know, that's that's like a long. I have to find ways right, where right, a right. place for it, or sure. or find things that are discarded like plastics and things like that, and things that could survive outside, you yeah. know, make it a yeah. public art. Yeah. Because, you know, if you go in the ocean, and I I know there was a billboard around Times Square where there's this artist that took photographs of all the crap that's coming into New York. Sure. And stuff like that. Sure. So maybe all of that sea stuff could be part of it.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, like I make this huge armature yeah. and things like that, and then we adhere all this stuff that's on cool. it. That's so, cool. So yeah.
0: What about let's talk about the spirituality piece? For I, I didn't ask this before. Was your household religious growing up? Was religion a thing?
1: Well, you know, I, I went to you know CCD classes, Roman Catholic sure. classes, and sure. I got my communion confirmation. I remember going to church. But as I got older, I, I never really I stopped going to church. Sure. Because I felt like my Native American side was much more prevalent because I felt more in tune going in nature because I might offend some people here, but I'm just going to tell you, I always feel like church is a very hypocritical places, it place. Okay. Because people will hear what the preacher says or the minister say, and then they'll go out and they'll contradict themselves and sure. they'll do whatever they want to do. When they, maybe the priest say we need to be kind to everybody, but yet then they'll go outside and they'll tell someone to fuck off or something like that. So that's where I have issues with a church. I don't mind going to a church by myself alone. I like, I love how I feel, you communing, know, communing yeah.
0: with a higher power. Yeah. And yeah. just
1: looking at the, you know, stained glass or whatever's mm. in there. Cause I went yesterday to a church here and it was quite beautiful. Yeah. And I think it was the Guadalupe church and it was mm. really beautiful paintings and things mm. like that. So I don't object to going no, to sure. church, right. But I like to go when there's myself and just a few people. Yeah. I don't like really going for services. I used to go a lot when I was a kid and I remember, you know, I think it was St. Paul in Chicago, downtown Chicago, we would go midnight mass for Christmas. Mm. And I thought that was really magical yeah. because they had the you know, the uh, organ playing. Yeah. And, yeah, 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 and yeah. a lot of times I would cry, like Silent Night would get to me yeah, and things like yeah, that. Sure. So, but then when I moved out to California, that's when I really was trying to find more about my Native American side.
0: What was your Native American side? So, it it's on my dad's side, okay. Pueblo. It's
1: the Pueblo above Santa Fe. It's the first Pueblo. It's Camel Rock Casinos they are what they're known for. And, um, so that's when I went to spiritual retreat. And and at that time I was in a dark place and I had to like get rid of this darkness that I had. So Mm. I feel like I had to go to these retreats and circles and, you know, journeying and having people drumming and me going somewhere else and stuff like that. And so I think that was part of my journey, you know, my healing process.
0: Was it? Um, did it work?
1: Yeah, it did. I I started finding people, learning from different people. You um, know, unfortunately, my my tribe is very secretive. I remember when my gr- my uncle was alive; he was governor for a long time, mm. and um, I asked, and he came visit us one time. And I asked him, you know, because it was me and my dad and him, we went on a ride, we went to the coast, and I asked him, I say, hey, uncle, can you, like, tell me a, a native story? And he said to me, well, you don't speak Tewai. It doesn't translate. So I'm like, well, I mean, you could kind of, like, paraphrase it. Yeah, but right, right, but right. I've always been an outcast. I've always been an outcast. I never, my grandmother never fully accepted me. I was, like, the half-breed child. And I have yeah. a, a cousin that, you know, she always embraced and said that she's my real granddaughter. So I've always had that. It's always in the back of my mind. But the funny, the ironic thing, I remember when I was in Lackland Air Force Base and we were doing some navigation and we're sleeping in some, you know, those one steamy huts. I don't remember those uh, aluminum things. Half dome, right, right, right. And uh, I was sleeping there, and I and my grandmother came in in my dream and opened her arms and said, "Granddaughter." But it took her like twenty-two years to do that.
0: And that was in your dream.
1: That was in my dream. (laughs) She finally she was dead for a long, long time. Got you. And so, I mean, I really do believe animals are spiritual. Like after my dad passed away, well, prior to my dad passing away, my dad would always have hummingbirds coming around, and and in in our belief that hummingbirds are ancestors mm. and they are messengers. And so when my dad passed away, I was really upset and still sad, but I remember saging myself outside and I closed my eyes and I was crying profusely saying, dad, are you okay? Mm-hmm. I just wanted you to know you're okay. And I had my eyes closed and the minute I opened my eye, there was a hummingbird. Yeah, yeah. And that same day, I walked through my house, and then in the front we used to have grass, and I converted to a cactus landscape because I hate wasting water. There was a red-tailed hawk sitting in the grass. That's not normal. So I'm like, okay, it's dad. I'm like, hey, dad. And I know my dad is always with me all the time. I remember when I was up in Poughkeepsie, Or in Colorado, I was really having a sad moment. I was riding my mountain bike, and there was a deer crossing the road. Because, you know, over there is very wilderness. Yeah, sure. And then when I was up in Poughkeepsie, it was a deer and two fawns crossing a road. And then prior to coming to New York, I plasma cut, and I look at it, and it's a deer, So I'm thinking the deer energy means something, you know, and stuff like that. And that's, I really believe that animals are our messengers, that they are, you know, coming to us. And like butterflies, I'm like, a lot of times I go in nature, you know, my butterflies are flying around me. And I'm like, dad and my dog, because Panchito passed away. And I'm like, oh, Panchito's come and say hi. Because he was like a little butterfly. And I remember prior to coming here, my husband and I, Went to Kennedy Meadows, you know, outside of Kern County. And we went to this one place and we find these grinding rocks. And these grinding rocks are like very sacred places, you know. That's where Mm. Native Americans would grind their acorns and things like that. yeah, yeah. And we went up this hill and he said, my husband said, baby, we got to go up here. I want to show you this. I'm like, okay. So we went up there and... And I could see that the trees had, well, there was vortex, because there's vortex yeah, energy. Yeah. And I could feel it, like, in my arms. Like, I feel, like, that energy. And I was looking around, and we're in the middle of a forest. And my husband was sitting there, and there was a hummingbird that came and looked at him and flew away. Yeah. And my dad said, and my husband said, ah, that's Dad. That's your dad, and I said, "Yeah, but my dad's saying hi to you. He hasn't said hi to you. He's telling you because you know my dad was very happy when I married my husband. You know, my husband, my my dad was really picky with the guys I date, and uh, he finally he approved of my husband. So I bet he was kind of like saying, good job, I'm glad you're taking care of my daughter,' or something. <laughs> yeah. And my husband does believe in all of that stuff. He believes yeah. in all that, which I'm very happy because sometimes people think that you're loony or something.
0: Sure. Right. 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 Um, yeah. So, yeah. But you have to have somebody supporting you. Yes, when you, when yes. You
1: and so he knows that whenever I tell him, like, you know what I oh, yeah, okay, I understand, and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I, I, I'm very spiritual with that.
0: When you do your work, when you do your art now, do you need to be in a certain mind state? Do you need to be happy? Do you need to be sad? Do you need to work from pain? Do you need to work from adventure? You mentioned the sense of play that you always like to bring. Like, what's a prerequisite for you to do work or do you, does it not matter? Does a different work come from different emotions and you can work with all of them?
1: Well, you know, that's a very interesting question because prior to when I was in grad school, my work was very monotone, oh. dark kind of in a way, like I would cover everything with coffee grounds and it would be dark Interesting. or cow manure. Which I still use Calmander because I think it's cool. I know people think that's pretty shitty, but it is. It's great. <laughs> it is medium. literally, yeah, it's literally yeah, shitty. Yeah, it's literally shitty. And I, or sand. But I know I'm going to sound kind of like crazy here, but I think part of the reason why I went to California was A, to get the job. But I've had premonition of this guy with blonde and blue eyes. Or blonde hair. Let's take, I can't take the eyes because I don't know, but a a guy that's fair skin with blonde hair. And I've had premonition of two dreams with this person, but I never see the face. And I remember dancing one time. And then another time I was dancing and I felt like this feeling in my heart, like, oh my God, it's like true love. And I saw my hand with a ring, like a beautiful ring. And I felt like I had to go to California to meet my husband. Wow. And I don't know. I just, I just like, I wanted to find true love. Like I'm very romantic at, at heart, you know? And for many years, I mean, I've got, I was married for one time, but it was the wrong person. And that person taught me a lesson and it made me go on a different mm-hmm. journey. So that person was necessary for me to get here.
0: Right. Right.
1: And, And before I met my husband, my work was sort of like dark because I was still like, you know, shedding the layers of things over my heart. And even even when I married my husband, I still had a layer. And my husband said, "I haven't gone through that door yet." And I'm like, "No. Even I got married to him, I still had that door closed because I made a promise to myself." And even, even when I was married the first time, I never gave my heart or I never opened my heart. Mm. And I said, i only going to give my heart, or open my heart to the one that truly deserves it. And a person that's going to honor it and protect it and, 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 and treat me like I'm the princess. Mm. And love me and adore me. And, you know, my husband's everything to me. You know, he's a really, really great guy. Blonde hair. Blonde hair and blue eyes. Wow. And um and we got married after ten weeks. Wow. And and he's very supportive and he's really wonderful. I know it's hard for us to be apart, you know, I know it's harder on him. Because, you know, he has to work and do, you know, mundane things. And me, I'm like a butterfly. You know, I'm flying here and flying there. But I think he really understands the importance of me being here. And, And I think that's why my work is so whimsical and light and playful. Because I'm happy in my heart. Because I found that true love. And my other true love, and I always tease my husband, that I cheat on him is my art. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's something that's at the core of my soul. That's something that makes me who I am. And and making it in the art world big is something that I got to have before I die because I want to create a foundation. I want to create a, leave a legacy. And I want to create a place, an animal sanctuary where... I can pay a full-time veterinarian and a vet tech to take care of all the animals. Like if I have farm animals, I have to have a certain vet and then maybe dogs and cat, another kind of vet. And, you know, cause there's so many abused animals mm. out there that mm. it just breaks my heart. And I just sure. can't stand people who abuse animals because sure. I think that they should get, what they deserve and worse because hmm. they are God's creatures, yeah. mother earth, yeah. because we believe that we're supposed to treat animals like our brothers and sisters and a lot of people don't.
0: Yeah.
1: And and also in conjunction with that, I want to have an art residency where people who apply have to be envir- environmentally driven and love animals. So that when they come and get accepted at the residency, that they can partake, taking care of the animals, playing with them, bathing them, walking them, and they could work. Because there is, there, is, there is a place in Utah, which I can't really remember, but the, it is like an animal sanctuary. Or maybe find an organization like that where I could talk to them, pitch them, say, hey, you already have this going on. Can I add on and become an art resident and, and you know give my inheritance to them you know when I die?
0: So that's the end goal. That is my end goal. With the art. So you need your art to sell for a lot of money.
1: Yes. And to be in major collections and be, and like I want to be in a Venice Biennale. I want to be like up there. Like people, like this is the artist you need to know. I mean, that's what I'm putting in the universe. That one day, I mean, I've had a premonition of me standing in a podium and crying.
0: Sure. How long have you and your husband been married?
1: Nine years.
0: So almost the same amount of time you've been working as a sculptor.
1: Yep. Yep. Because I started, I graduated grad school No, in 2012. So yeah. Yeah. My, my, I was making a, a lot of my work prior to my husband. That was kind you of were. like
0: dark. That was all the dark stuff.
1: Yeah, more dark. I mean, I started. It wasn't
0: sculpting necessarily, right? Yeah,
1: it was all sculpture. sculpture. It was all sculpture, and they were still life size and taller. Okay, but um, yeah, but they were very monotone. But toward the end of my grad, before my my thesis show, I start putting a little splash of colors here and Mm. there. But it didn't start to really take off after I got married.
0: Can you, and by you, I mean, can a person? track when you did a piece of art visually based off of now knowing that and go, oh yeah, darker stuff. That was from prior to 10 years ago.
1: Yeah. Because on my website, it says past work or archive or something. I don't remember how it's listed, but they could see my work there.
0: They can, you can tell, but you can can tell tell when, and was it instant that the work got lighter? Or was it a gradual process?
1: No, it's for some reason it, it, it kind of happened fast. Wow. It's, like, it's like my husband was like my trigger. Like it's almost like he was the puzzle I was yep. missing.
0: Yep, absolutely. Do you have two more years left as a teacher? or how many more years? Well, going to be my, my,
1: I've been teaching 18 years. I mean, my goal is two more years, but we'll have to see how Got you. my career takes off and everything. I mean, it's all about when, you know, it's all about timing, you know,
0: but you, is it, is it just my subjective sense? It seems like your work is getting noticed a lot more exponentially year after year. Is that correct, or is that just me getting being late to the party and feeling like, oh, yeah, look, all these people are starting to know who you are?
1: You know, I, I'm thinking it's happening. You know, I I don't, I mean, I got this NEH fellowship in Chicago. I mean, I, I met Amber through another artist. Um,
0: this is the one from Salma Or who's Amber?
1: Oh, Amber Zora was a curator mm-hmm. that, you know, got reference, uh, for the light of me, I can't remember the the, the lady that re- referred me to Amber, but that's kind of like I think that's when it started to go getting warm kinda thing because I had a show at Oceanside because they were all veteran-based. You know, I had a show in Texas, I had a show in um in Oceanside, and then I had the NEH fellowship, and that ended. And so now I'm kind of like in a limbo stage right now. I'm not, I mean, I'm having the show. And Sal Magoon and, you know, so, and I'm here, um, just (laughs) redoing, like I said, when we were, I just walk in, I'm doing my recon, figuring out like where, and I did, I applied to Fountainhead that's down in, uh, Florida and I am, I'm going to apply to Forge Project. That's, so I'm like going to go home and start making a list and start doing my checklist. Like, okay, I got in, this is my next one, next one, next one
0: how many pieces do you have pending things that you're actively working on or in some stage of development? Do you only do one at a time or do you, do you juggle? Do you have a bunch of different projects at one time?
1: Well, I do have one right now that was supposed to go to Chicago and I never finished it. So that's going to be one. And then I have so many ideas now from the clay and steel that I took when I yeah. was in Colorado so I do have clay parts that has no other parts. So I'm going to be developing that. So, and then I have a lot of paper I made, paper pulp painting, that I'm going to start figuring out because those are going to become wall hangings.
0: Did you do that with Frontline? Frontline paper? No, okay, who no, was
1: that, that was with the woman's studio workshop. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so I, yeah, I do know about Frontline, and then that's another thing eventually I would apply. I don't yeah. know when, you know, cause I'm, I'm next year I'm trying to apply and trying to get in certain ones.
0: Sure. And then sure. after
1: that, keep going and going, you know,
0: I got to ask you about, um, some of the stuff you've been working on. It looks like relatively recently where you're putting yourself in a clay cast. What's going on with that? Where is it in development? Is that done? Is that still pending?
1: Well, that is a good question. I have not posted a picture just yet. I'm just okay. waiting okay I'm trying to do I'm doing my vacation <laughs> showing that, but then when I yeah. return home, I'll be posting that picture but uh the the casting um was done prior to me to going to Colorado because i want. I had this idea, obviously when you have this idea and I got to Colorado it did not work out so I <laughs> I landed up doing something else but I'm really really excited and I'm and I'm and I've shown this sculpture to several people like yesterday I showed to a lady At the Chelsea market, you know, I was trying on his jacket and we start talking and I start showing her my website and she's like, Oh my God, you know, and she gave me a really good critique, you know, I was like, wow. She said, This is so elegant, but yet it's so balanced and has movement, and you know, and everybody's been saying the same thing about this sculpture, which I will show you a little bit later. Um, and so yeah, so that was a casting of my leg and my foot. But they, they didn't work because, you know, doing your foot and leg together is very hard to pull the clay out.
0: Yeah. Because yeah. there's a
1: lot of like those zones where it'll like kind of get caught. And so I was having a really bad moment when I got to Colorado. I was in one of those like slump moments. And bless Trey Hill. I'm giving a shout out to Trey. Um, he really helped me. And he said, he said, Gina, he always said, Gina, don't sweat it. That's what he said. He said, "Work the way you always work. Work in parts. Let's cast a leg. Let's do it together." And I don't know. Maybe just him, just yeah. helping me get over that that frump that I was yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. And and then I I started making these other things and all that. And then you know I worked late. And he's like, "Man." So Trey Trey was like like like, "Well, okay. I think you're on a roll now." You know, cause he already knows my, my work, you know, I've taken a class with him last summer wow. and even the, you know, the, uh, tech assistant knows me too, uh, uh, Theodore. And so, you know, I, cause I was crying, you know, cause I, wow. cause I, I'm, I have such high standards for myself. Like I'm like a perfectionist and yeah. even though my work is playful, but I'm have, you know, I want to be somewhere at a certain time. Right, I gotta right. be at a certain level. So sort of like I'm going back to being when I was in fashion school, but in the art world now. So sort of like I'm doing like a full circle. Yep. You know, like I was very young and ultra ambitious. Then I kind of like had this void and now I'm going back and returning back to when I was like young.
0: Yeah. That's so interesting. To, I, I'm curious about the end result. Cause it's interesting that you're calling your shot and I'm just, I'm thinking out loud with this. I, I think there's a question at the end of this, but it's fascinating to me because I don't know a lot of people that call their shot that go, I need to make a certain degree of money because I need to do all these other things. Um, and I wonder about that when the destination is so clear, do you ever get fuzzy on what the journey needs to look like? as opposed to living in the moment and just focusing on the work at hand and then seeing what that blossoms into in whatever way it goes. Just talk a little bit about the philosophy behind that, and about you, what your path has been like and, and, and your comfort level kind of talking openly about fuck. Yeah. I'm here to fucking do it. You know, <laughs> cause that's, it's fucking, it's really interesting. I don't hear that a lot and I'm just interested in where and how you think about that and what that means for you.
1: Well, it really goes back to my spirituality. You know, I think, unfortunately, I'm sorry to say this, but I think my dad's passing really shifted my career because wow. now I have someone that's in my corner up there.
0: How long ago did he pass?
1: He passed away about four, almost over, almost five years ago. Okay. And I, that's when I start noticing that I got that piece in Bel Air. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got on, I was in a newspaper yep. and then I was on a, on a news and then I was on something. so it's, it's, it seems like, you know, I, I, I miss my dad tremendously. I mean, I, I miss him a lot, but my dad knew how important my art was, you know, like when we go to shows you know, he got really mad. Like, you know, sometimes when there were his awards. Yeah. And he said, what is that shit doing? <laughs> Why the hell that crap when when my, when my, Gina's work is way better? Like, he was yeah. got mad. Like, he was yeah. agitated. Yeah. And I think that now that my dad is in the other plane, you know, he can float around. Like, he could go to New York. He'd go to San Francisco. He can go to Europe. He could, like, whisper in someone's ear or... I don't know, maybe do something, you know, maybe push the key, you know, the key on this one yeah, or, or yeah, yeah. whisper in someone's ear. I mean, I don't know. That's the way I...
0: No, there, I think there's some. There's absolutely something to that. When parents go and that are for you and all that, like there's, yeah, there, it definitely does something. I also think it does something to you, to the individual. And I'm saying this is somebody who lost my parents many years ago and all that. And I felt like, and that was, that was a major inflection point. I did feel something otherworldly, at play, but also I feel like it does something for you. Where it's like, and you and I are both only children. How about that oh for a coincidence? God. But I think I think there is something that it does to the only child. And I say it because I don't know what it's like to have brothers and sisters, but I think there's something it does to you where it's like, you. It's weird to be in a world where you no longer have an automatic advocate. Hmm. You know, and when you're an only child and you have parents, you're used to them being your advocate. When they're no longer there, it's like. Motherfucker, you better do something yourself. You better, you better make your own advocates, because that's not just in the bag anymore. There's nobody that's automatically going to get your back. I don't know. I'm talking about this is what's coming through my head. Does any of that ring true for you?
1: Well, you know, I still have my mom, and I know my mom is still plugging along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think my mom is waiting for me to make.
0: Mm. Yeah. Gina, yeah, that's right.
1: Because she said to me, she said, I want to see you make it before I die. Mm. So I think that's the reason why my mom keeps pushing and pushing yeah. because I think she wants to witness it. She wants to see it. And, and I think that if, if that does happen, that she'll be at peace, you know?
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I, I still think that's the reason why you know my mom's still here, you know, and I, and I understand, I totally understand about that, you know, like it's true, like they automatically want the best for you. They' sure, automatically sure. are your, your, are, your, are your cheerleaders, right, and, and they're like your fallback. But when you don't have that anymore, that's when the spouse becomes important, you know, and they, they have to be your advocate and and have your back and stuff like that. So it is true. I mean, it's it's people that are not only children will never understand that. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's very hard because, you know, you're, you're alone in this world. You don't have no more blood. I mean, you know, you have, maybe you have aunts and uncles, but once they all die, yeah. that's it, the blood is is, is gone yeah. you know, it's not there anymore and, and it, it is hard, you know, it's just hard but, you know, but I think my mom is just clinging on you know, she's trying, you know, even though sometimes she doesn't blatantly say it out loud, you know because my mom's really like strong will, you know, and sometimes my mom and I, we, we Uh, have our moments.
0: Right, right, right.
1: But then sometimes, you know, my mom does say things and say, you know, you're going to make it, you got to make it, you know, you just got to keep going. You got to keep going and stuff like that. And, and sometimes, you know, I cry because I'm so upset about, you know, like why, why this? But then I I have to believe that it's the universe, you know, the universe going to give it to you when it's the right time, when you are ready and you can embrace it and appreciate it. Yeah. Because a lot of times I see a lot of young people make it and they fizzle out. And you never hear anything because they maybe are not mature enough to understand it or they pass away, you know. Because a lot of a lot of people died at 27. You know, there's certain yeah. people that die, and that was that was the end of their juncture. That was it. But then you have other people that make it later in
0: life. And there's something to be said, especially with a medium as nuanced and deep as sculpture and all the different types of materials you're bringing into sculpture. I'm not sure you can do that young. I'm not sure you can last it that long if you're young, because I think you need the depth of life. You've had two 20-year careers in very different fields, not to mention all the rest of life that comes along with it. I mean, to me, I, th- I feel like that's when you get going. That has to be when you get going. You couldn't have done that earlier. I mean, I that's just me looking at it as an objective third party. But I mean, how do you feel looking back at that? Do you think you could have done the work you're doing now if it was 20, 25 years ago?
1: You know, I always think about that, and I don't think my work would be as strong. Yeah. I think it would be kind of flaky in a yep. way because I'm still – because I think about when I was at SIC and I was just – dabbling in this, dabbling in that. I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know what I want to be known for. I mean, yep. I didn't know like what medium, you know, I was just like, like figuring it out. I was like playing like a little yep. kid going to, you know, going to the grocery store. Let me try an apple. Let me try an orange. Right. Let me try a banana. Let me figure it out, you know? Right. And I, and I think that I had to have all of those tools. It's like having this invisible tool bag, you know, and maybe also the experience of the military.
0: Hundred I mean,
1: I think, I think, Everything had to happen, even my marriage, all of that stuff, and maybe even with you know my dad dying, you know, and and seeing my dad suffer for fourteen years with cancer, mm. you know, I think all of that. I mean, it's it's just it's oh, like yeah. a lot of oh, yeah. a lot of history is making me pushing me, and, you know, and 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 I know my dad wants me to make it, you know. I know he yeah. he I'm daddy's little girl, you know. Yeah. He wants yeah, yeah, to yeah. see that. And I know that he's applauding me, you know, with the clouds and stuff like that. Even sometimes in the clouds, I see like animals and things like that. So, but to answer your question, I I don't think I would be the artist that I I am back then.
0: It's not pop singing. It's not the kind of thing you can do at like 15, 16, 17. It's like, hey, boy, you're fully fleshed out. I think that's where the celebrity culture thing starts to go. Hey, if you haven't made it by 25, 29 Oh, well whatever it's like. Motherfucker, this is the long game. This is the marathon. Mm-hmm. Like and you and it's not just oh, good for you for troopering on. It's like no, you have to have lived to do art that's worthwhile that's going to stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. You don't live first, that art's not going to be worth shit. <laughs> you know, if you, if you just been riding a desk in a cubicle, you know, and and that have been it then fine. I mean, or if you'd been very young, eh, okay, whatever. But I think talent only gets you so far. It's life that then exploits that talent. I think that's the alchemy. I'm I'm talking out of my ass here, but it seems like it's making sense. Like, yeah, just listening to you, I'm like, talent's one thing, but you don't have control over talent. You got talent, awesome, bitching. But then, what you do with it is life and how life intersects with that. Then that's where the magic spins out. That's where something actually worthwhile comes from. That's why you can be Picasso at whatever fucking age he was, 70, blah, 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 80 something and turning out amazing work. It's because, yeah, I'm older now and that my work's that much richer. Mm -hmm. It's not deterioration. It's, it's, it's improving, but this is the time when your amount of life experience finally matches your talent. I don't know. That's what it seems like to me, though, hearing this.
1: Well, it's the longevity. You know, it's like you have to have the skill sets, and yeah. you know, my mom always predicts this, and she keeps telling me because she was nagging me for a long time. Gina, you have to do metal. Gina, you uh, have to do metal.
0: Yeah, she and, saw. Um,
1: I, I don't know because, but but I wasn't doing metal very much. I mean, I said, Mom, in time, Mom because she kept nagging me. She kept nagging, Gina, you need, she said, you do the medal, you're going to make it. I don't know why my mom, it's like, it's like almost like my mom's sort of like a fortune teller sometimes because my mom's really wise and she's very intuitive and she's very like in tune with spirituality. I mean, she like, she see like her brothers and sisters that pass, they have conversations. I mean, she, in her dreams, I think my mom transcends to a higher level. Yeah. I mean, I think she's seen God. She's been in heaven. I mean, you yeah. know, and, and, yeah. and she kept telling me, you got to keep doing You got to do metal. She said, that's the key. And she said, you're not going to make it until your late 50s. And she's like, I'm like, good. I'm like, you know, and I'm maybe I'm starting to see that. And maybe my mom is right because I am going to be 54 you know, I don't feel like I'm 54. <laughs> I don't think I look 54 because I still like to play and I'm still have an inner child. Sure. But, you know, I'm thinking that it is. And maybe my mom is predicting and her prediction is coming true, you know, but I'm just I try not to really think about that. But sometimes, you know, I do kind of get sad when I look at other people making it where I want to no, be. No, that's
0: poison. That's I know. poison. I know, that's, but that's, then I yeah. try
1: to not. Do it's that. not
0: that's not your journey. No. That's their journey. Yeah, yeah. that's no. what
1: I I always think, and and it's sort of ironic that this the title of this of this show that at the Sal Sal Salmagudin.
0: Oh, uh, Salmagundi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's onward journey. Yeah. So maybe I have to think about that onward journey. It's like you know, this is my journey. You know, I think about when I was in New York. I was here when I was eighteen. And my whole perspective in New York is completely different than what it is now. And I think being here at the age now, I'm observing, watching. You know, I've taken pictures of people on subway, you know, because I find their dress or, you know, the lighting or the billboard signs. You know, I've been, you know, I'm like looking at everything as art.
0: Yeah. So yeah.
1: I'm, I'm taking it in and taking pictures and, and I'm almost thinking like, wow, this be kind of a cool, like I saw this guy wearing his hot pink shoes with shorts with a red, um, red umbrella. He was bald and with a beard. I took a, I looked like kind of like a voyeur. So I was taking a picture because I didn't want him to think I'm taking, and I'm like, he'd be a kind of an interesting painting, like having him standing in nature you know, and stuff like that. And even like when I was up north and I, you know, I saw Gerald's studio and I was, he was doing like animals and nature. And you know, I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. You know, I'm thinking like myself because him and I, we have similarities about nature things. So it's like, I don't know. I just, I'm like thinking like, you know, sooner or later, I'm going to get back to painting, but it's just not, I'm not there yet. Yeah. Maybe when I retire and I have more yeah. time
0: yeah. and
1: I can devote more energy because Painting is like another thing that that's hard to to accomplish because it's like a blank canvas, and I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm gonna do. But with sculpture, I don't know. Maybe it's an innate. I'm, I think I was a builder in a past life. Mm. You know, like I like to build you things. You can construct. I could, yeah. constr- I could have like a bunch of stuff, and I'll like put this, this, and this, and this, and I just put it together, and I'm like, oh, okay. Or it won't work. And it just comes so. Yeah. Na- Making a sculpture is yeah. easy for me, but doing a painting, I don't know. Yeah. It's really interesting, but that's yeah. a problem I need to solve down, down the road. <sighs>
0: <laughs> All right, Gina, tell everybody wh- how they need to follow you. Where do they need to go? What's the website?
1: Well, my website is www.gina with a G, G I N A. Herrera, H-E-R-R-E-R-A, that's all together. com is my website. And my Instagram is Gina Herrera Art. So you have two A's at the end. So it's G-I-N-A-H-E-R-R-E-R-A-A-R-T. That is my Instagram.
0: And it's a great Instagram. And it's so much cool stuff out there. And I love that you're keeping us up to date on like how things are going and like showing the evolution of the projects as they come along. Um, it's been a blast. Thank you so much for coming over and doing this.
1: Well, I am honored. This is this is going to be a moment in history. So when I have my foundation, people <laughs> will have headphones and listen to this. I'll be in the other life. <laughs>
0: I will too. Yeah, probably be, we'll, we'll probably be we'll probably be in the clouds.
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll toss a couple balls next to each other or something like that. Or we'll <laughs> make art, you know? Yeah, we'll make art. Maybe we'll have we'll a pod- have our own gallery up we'll there. We'll have our own gallery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have a podcast in yeah. heaven up there. Wouldn't that be cool?
0: <laughs> Sold. Yeah. Done. Done. All right. This has been awesome. Well, Let's thank do you this so again. much.
1: I, I'm honored. Thank you.
0: That was Gina Herrera's profile in Havoc. Did you guys like that? Was she funny? Did she piss you off? Did she inspire you at all? Did you take away something from that? Um, hopefully all the above. Um, well, I mean, not that I'm trying to piss people off. Uh, but, you know, when you get opinionated people on the show, that's, that's kind of inevitable. Um, it's funny, you know, 2023, it's hard to say hey, uh, we got to totally divorce politics or political sentiment uh, from these shows because it kind of bleeds into almost everything we do. Um, sometimes, depending on what it is you do and, and all that, how much it's on your mind. But uh, Gina's one of those people that has a lot of passion and is, uh, yeah, I don't agree with it all. But I respect that she's earned the right to fucking say it and hear um, her out hear where she's coming from. And if you haven't seen her art, you got to see her art. It's incredible stuff. Again, she's at the Salma Gundy club until July 28th. So if you are in the New York city area, go check it out. Salma Gundy club's an incredible club. Um, Does a lot for veteran veterans in the arts, in the visual arts. And uh yeah, it'd be good for, you guys to go down there and see it. And Gina's work is in exhibition, as we said, in, in a group exhibition with folks like Elise McKelvey. Um, and our friend Ron Erickson from Frontline Arts is, is showing in that show as well. Um, but definitely uh, go down and check that out. She's, uh, her work's incredible. I know she was downplaying it. She's like, yeah, it's just a wall hanging and all that. Uh, trust me, you, you want to see her work live. Uh, she's doing some very cool stuff. And um, I'm really interested to see where her career goes. I think she's playing a dangerous game. I've never heard somebody talk so much about uh, the money and about where their career, where they want their career to go financially. Uh, It's a ballsy move. As I said, calling your shot like that. I don't know. I've never seen that really work out because I feel like that puts the emphasis in the wrong place. But what do I fucking know? Her work's great and it does seem like she's coming into her own and we'll see. Um, But she's fucking, she's talented. She's talented. She works her butt off. And uh, that's always a pretty good recipe for success. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes from there. It's also just crazy to think of the shit that you end up doing after spending 25 years in the military or while you're in the military. I mean, obviously she was a reservist, so she had some time on her hands, Um, you know, but in between working a full-time job and, uh, you know, being an artist. That's a lot of balls in the air, you know? So – um, but it's interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, yeah. anyway, this is a good time. Um, so listen, I started off this episode by talking about this missions, this mission, this mission, this episodes first sponsor. Can you tell I've done this spot enough that now I'm just getting sloppy with it? Okay. This episode's first sponsor that I mentioned was second mission foundation, but now let me take a second and talk about this episodes. Other sponsor veterans, repertory theater, which for those of you that don't know is my nonprofit. So, Veterans Repertory Theater is a nonprofit 501c3 organization. What do we do? I do actually have a definition. And as always, I didn't punch it up before I just started launching into this. Let me see if I can actually find it in time. Yes, it's a tax exempt nonprofit 501c3 organization, which provides a platform for current or former military, law enforcement, fire, EMS, intelligence services, foreign service, DOD employees, and contractors, and their immediate family members to create compelling, professional live theater and events. It's a lot to take in. I get that. So the best thing you can do is go to vetrep.org, vetre vetrep.org while you are there scroll partway down the homepage, you will see an option to subscribe for free to our mailing list, which doubles as the Savage Wonder Literary Blog. And I would highly recommend that you subscribe for free. And that will mean that every day in your email inbox, you will receive a short email from us. It will feature a piece of veteran writing, fiction, poetry, or creative nonfiction, followed by a bunch of shameless plugs about all the different stuff we are doing. And that is the best way to stay up to tabs on the many lines of effort we have going on pretty much all the time. Okay. I got to thank this episode's producer, Mike Neal, for again, cranking out an awesome episode. or awesomely produced episode. Whether or not it's an awesome episode is your vote, I guess. Uh, But thanks, Mike, for putting that together. Uh, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. My thanks again to Gina Herrera and the players for allowing us to record that episode and giving us the time, bandwidth, and capabilities of putting all that together. On behalf of everyone at Havoc Journal, see you next time for another Profile in Havoc.